I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, let's begin by going to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, now as we come to this time of opening up your word, and hearing from you, Lord, we pray that you'd give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts willing to receive and obey your word today, Lord. Lord, give me strength as we deal with this difficult doctrine. Lord, help me to preach it well, to preach according to your word. Reveal to us the doctrines that are set before us so that we may apply the truths of these doctrines to our lives and live to honor and glorify your name. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We're looking at verses 6 through 11 this morning. That's Deuteronomy chapter 7, looking at verses 6 through 11. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, you can grab one of the pew Bibles there and turn to page 142 in the pew Bible. Page 142 in the pew Bible. What drives you? If you're going to be successful in life, it's successful in any endeavor. You need to, to know what drives you, what motivates you to live the way you live. Maybe it's a do- desire to just be successful, to be the best in whatever field you may be into. Maybe it is to provide for your family. That's a good motivator. Or it may just be because... Uh, you, you have goals that you have set for yourself, and so you, you set these goals, and those goals are your aim, and those goals drive you to accomplish the things that you accomplish. You see, we, we need motivators. We need to know what drives us and motivates us to live the way we live. There's always motivators. We always have them, whether we realize it or not, whether we recognize them or not, but it always helps Uh, When we know those motivators, know those things which drive us. As we begin, as we've been looking at Deuteronomy, studying through Deuteronomy, we've come to this section here in chapter 6 through 11 that calls us to live holy unto the Lord, to live in uh, in allegiance, commit ourselves to allegiance to Yahweh, to the Lord God of Scripture, to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, last week we considered the importance of not making those political, social, and religious alliances with the ungodly of the world. Alliances which might draw us away from God, divide our allegiance, and draw us away from God. And so we've had that warning, but what drives us to live like this? What drives us, what motivates us to live lives holy unto the Lord, separate from the rest of mankind? What drives us to be absolutely different 
from the rest of society. Well, in the weeks ahead, today and next week especially, Moses will reveal to us some motivators that, will, that should motivate us to live holy unto the Lord. In today's text, in Deuteronomy 7, 6-11, we find this motivator. We are called to live holy to the Lord because of God's sovereign grace and your responsibility. You are to live holy unto the Lord because of God's sovereign grace and your responsibility. Responsibility that God calls you to as one of his children. We need to understand how these motivate us, how these drive us to live holy unto the Lord. Here we see uh, two seemingly contradictory biblical doctrines that actually come together in order to drive us to live holy unto the Lord. So as we study these two doctrines, I hope we can bring some sense of balance between the two because when you're dealing with God's sovereign grace and human responsibility, we need to get some balance between the two. And so hopefully we can see both of these and though they seem different, even though they seem opposed to one another, Let's find some balance between the two so that we can affirm both doctrines and live according to the demands that they make on our lives. So if you found your place, I do want to read our text today. It's a shorter text, so if you found your place, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Let's get these two together in in the text Now, just to remind you, again, last week we were told not to make political, social, and religious alliances with the ungodly of the world. And now we begin in verse 6 with this word, for, because. Here's why you don't do this. Here's why you live different than they live. For, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him 
he will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandments and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. What motivates us to live holy to the Lord our God? Live holy to the Lord because of, first and foremost, because of God's sovereign grace. Because of God's sovereign grace. God's grace is His sovereign grace. Notice what our text says there in verse 6. Here in verse 6, we notice, first of all, that God chooses whom He will. God chooses whom He will. Notice verse 6, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. In other words, God did not Uh, He didn't choose Babylon. He didn't choose Egypt. He didn't choose Assyria. He could have, but God chose Israel. He chose this nation to be His nation. He chose this nation to set His love upon them. He chose it, as we're going to see, not because of anything they did, but because of His sovereign will. It was because He willed it. He desired to choose them and set his love upon them as we continue on there we notice that God's grace is not based on any human qualities or actions it's not based upon any human qualities or actions notice verse 7 it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were fewest of all the peoples You were fewest. Israel was a tiny, insignificant nation. Right? They were nothing. They were not a mega power. They were not some great world leader. They were a nothing people. They were in bondage. They were in slavery. They were beat down and oppressed. Yet God chose them out of all the peoples of the earth to make them His treasured possession. He chose them and set His love upon them. It was not because of any quality they had. Furthermore, if you go over, and we'll get there eventually, but Deuteronomy 9, 6, a couple of chapters over, tells us, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. Right? It's not because Israel was a mighty nation. Or was it because they were a righteous nation? It wasn't because they were strong and powerful, nor was it because they were good. They were a sinful nation. They were heathens. They rejected God over and over and over again. Even though they had experienced God's grace, they continued to sin against their God. You see, it's not based upon God's grace. It's not based upon any human qualities or actions. No human qualities or actions. 
Now, we think a little bit different as humans, don't we? I mean, we pick the best people, right? If, if we're doing it, if, if we're choosing teams, we're going to choose the very best. I mean, think about it. That's what happens on the playground, doesn't it? You're out there on the playground. It's time to play dodgeball or kickball or whatever, and you get your two team captains, and the two ki- team captains, they start picking people. And who goes first? The best players, the most athletic, they're going to be the first ones chosen. And then you get down to the, the two puny folks, right? And it's like, all right, well, I'll take him. Okay, well, I guess I'm left with that one, right? We pick the best, the cream of the crop first. That's who we want. But that's not the way God is. That's not the way God is. Sovereign grace is not determined by who is the best. Who is the most talented? Who is the most righteous? For none are righteous, not even one. But God's grace is not based upon human qualities or actions. Rather, God's grace depends on God's sovereign plan and purpose. God's grace depends upon God's sovereign grace and purpose. Look at verse 8. But it is because the Lord loves you. That is, the Lord chose to set His love upon you. He committed Himself to you. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Because God loves you. He committed Himself to you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the house of Pharaoh king of egypt why did god save israel not because anything that they did nor because of anything that they were or were going to do it was because of god's sovereign grace he chose them because they were part of his eternal plan and purpose he saved them he redeemed them because they were a part of his sovereign plan of redemption One that began with Adam and Eve in the garden. With the fall. With Cain and Abel. And Abel killed Cain. And then then Seth was born. And God chose Seth, the line of Seth, to be His chosen people. And Seth and his lineage brought Noah. And God chose Noah and his family to be His chosen people. And from Noah, He chose Abraham. And from Abraham, He chose David. All of this was to bring about Jesus, the great Redeemer. It wasn't because of who they were, but it was because of who God is. He has a plan and a purpose And salvation depends upon God's eternal plan and purpose. God's grace depends on His sovereign plan and purpose. Now some might say, well, that was the Old Testament. Right? We're in the New Testament. Things are different in the New Testament. God chose Israel. He chose the nation of Israel to bring about Jesus. But it's different now. It's all different. God's grace works different now. It's not just because of His sovereign election, His predestination, His choosing. Well, let's look at New Testament Scripture. Let's be sure of this. So let's go to the New Testament. Please turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. So you're 
opposite ends of the Bible here. You're going to the end of the, the Bible, First Peter. Chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's look at verses 9 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Peter here is speaking to the church. He's not speaking to Israel. He's speaking to the church. But you, the church, are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that is a separate nation unto the Lord, a people for God's own possession, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. And notice that here, this is the reason, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Notice here that God chooses whom He wills. He gives His grace to whom He wills. God chooses. He elects. He chooses a people of His own sovereign will why so that we might honor and glorify him that we might live holy unto him and honor and glorify him in this world that's why god does what he does god chose the church as his holy possession as his royal priest again let's look at uh, romans chapter 9 Romans chapter 9, that's a necessary verse when we're talking about God's sovereign grace. Romans chapter 1, or excuse me, Romans chapter 9. Look at verse 6 through 18, Romans chapter 9. Starting in verse 6, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. Now, let me give you some context here. Paul has just told the Romans uh, about, you know, there, there's this question about, well, why, where's all the Jews, right? This is a, a religion that comes out of, out of, out of Israel. Well, why are so many Jews not coming to faith in the Messiah? Why is this happening? And he explains here, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are, are children of God because they are his offspring. But through Isaac, your offspring, uh, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, not Israel, just because they are Israelites, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this 
about this time next year, I, shall, I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had, no, had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of his, God's call, she was told the, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau, Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there any injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Notice this, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has, Mos who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy upon, he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. God's grace is sovereign grace. He chooses whomever He wills. He has mercy upon whomever He wills. One more verse. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Paul here writing to the church of Ephesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him when before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us he predetermined. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. God's grace is sovereign grace. It all depends upon His sovereign plans and purposes. It's not because we are wise enough or smart enough, right? If you are a born-again Christian redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, it is not because you were good enough, smart enough, talented enough, or lucky enough. You were saved by God's sovereign grace. It was because God chose you before the foundations of the earth to save you and redeem you in Jesus Christ according to His sovereign will. That's according to Scripture. 
lot of people like to argue this doctrine. They don't like it. What do you mean? It's God's sovereign grace. I chose God. I chose to believe. I did that. Pride begins to well up in the heart. But that's why I went to all these passages because I want you to see it. It's not just one passage of Scripture. It's throughout Scripture. God chooses whom He wills. He has mercy upon whom He has mercy. And compassion upon whom He has compassion. It's all God's grace. It's all God's grace. If you are saved, you cannot boast before the Lord. It is His grace and His grace alone that saved you. So what does the doctrine of God's sovereign grace teach us? What do we learn from this? How does it drive us in life? Well, first and foremost, right, it humbles us. It absolutely, positively humbles us before the Lord. Because when we understand God's sovereign grace, it takes away every ounce of boasting. We cannot boast before the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26-30, through 30, Paul gets to this point. He gets to this very point. For consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is lowly and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that... No human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. God, hear what it says? God is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. There is no new life. There's no regeneration. There's no being born again without the power of God. He, God, is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one boast, let no one who boasts, or excuse me, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God's sovereign grace takes away every ounce of boasting. It humbles us. It brings us to the throne of God and the throne of Jesus Christ praising, thank You, God, that You saved me. Thank You that You redeemed me. Nothing of my my own I bring only to the cross of Christ I cling. Salvation is by God's grace alone. So it humbles us, but it also increases confidence in our salvation, doesn't it? It increases our confidence in salvation. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, 
and I know them, and they follow me, Jesus says. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Oh man, what great confidence. Right? If salvation is, is partly our responsibility, even partly our responsibility, right? If salvation depends upon us, then, uh, well, if I can get it, then I can lose it. Right? But when salvation is about God's sovereign grace, we are in God's hands. He has chosen us and redeemed us. And we'll not fall out of His hands. God's sovereign grace gives us great confidence when we come to salvation in Jesus Christ. It's because God chose us and, and saved us. And we'll never fall away from Him. It humbles us. It increases our confidence in salvation. And third, it motivates holiness. The whole point of Deuteronomy. It motivates holiness in our lives. We're saved for a purpose. We're saved to proclaim God in this world, to live in, in a, such a way that we honor and glorify Him. We're called to be holy unto the Lord, to be different from everyone else so that the world looks at us and says, what's so different about you? Why do you live the way you live? Because of God who loved me and redeemed me and saved me. We honor God because of His saving grace. All of this that we're talking about in Deuteronomy, I mean, we could get so focused in on the law and about well, got to do this, got to do that, got to do this other thing. But why? It's not, because, not so that we can, can gain God's grace, because we already have God's grace. He chose it to give us His grace. And it's because of His grace that we want to honor Him and glorify Him with our lives. So, God's sovereign grace motivates holiness in our lives. You know, we appreciate God's sovereign grace and, and it, 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 it humbles us, it increases our confidence in salvation and it motivates us to holiness, but you know, if all we had was God's sovereign grace in Scripture, it might lead to this sense of fatalism, right? If we, we just hop over here and say, okay, here's the doctrine of so God's sovereign grace, and we just look at God's sovereign grace, and that's all we focus on, you know, we might become fatalist. We might become fatalist. We might become, theological term here, hyper-Calvinist. Right? We, we might become fatalists where we, we, we have this idea, well, we're just all puppets on a string and God's just leading us around and, and who's saved will be saved and who's not won't be saved won't be saved. And, and so why do missions? Why do evangelism? Why do any of this? It's all about God's sovereign grace, right? His sovereignty. We're just puppets in His theater. If all we had in Scripture was God's sovereign grace, then we might think that. But here comes the balance. Here comes the balance. We are to live holy unto the Lord because of God's sovereign grace. And second, we live holy unto the Lord because of 
man's responsibility your responsibility yes we are saved by god's sovereign grace but then there's also human responsibility involved as well let's go back to our text back to deuteronomy chapter 7 looking at verse 9 notice what our text says here verse 9 know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God. God is a faithful, wonderful God. You can always depend upon God. Who keeps covenant and steadfast love with, watch this, those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. Those who love him now in the context of a covenant. We're talking about a covenant here, an Old Testament kind of covenant, an ancient covenant. And in the context of a covenant, this language of love, to love someone it, it is to receive, to accept, to commit to that person. That's why he calls us, it, it's not just an emotive thing, right? We, we've talked about this before. Love in Scripture is not emotive. It's not just an emotional high or whatever, right? Love is a commitment. Love is a commitment. It's receiving. God has invited us into this covenant. It's receiving that covenant. It's loving God, committing ourselves to God. God keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who are committed to Him who enter into this covenant with him. At the same time, God also destroys those who hate him. God destroys those who hate him. Look at verse 10. And repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not repay he will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandments and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. God, God will repay, God will destroy those who hate him. Here again, like love. Love is commitment to the covenant. But to hate God, he's not talking about emotions, the emotion of hate, but to hate God is to reject God. To reject God. To walk away from God. No thanks, God. I don't need you, God. I don't want you, God. It is a rejection of God. For example, as we read there in Romans chapter 13, 9, verse 13, as it is written, Jacob, I loved but Esau I have hated. God isn't saying that he had this warm, fuzzy feelings for Jacob, but he hated, had this emotional hatred for Esau. No, he said, what he's saying there is God chose, he, he chose to set his love, to set his commitment upon Jacob, yet he rejected Esau. Out of his sovereign grace, he chose Jacob and rejected Esau. And, and we have human responsibility that is similar, right? We're not sovereign like God. God is ultimately sovereign. He's sovereign over all things. But yet we, we're still held responsible. We have this responsibility as God gives us his grace to respond. And how will we respond? Will we respond by committing ourselves to God 
receiving God's covenant of grace and, and, and entering into that covenant? Or will we reject God? Salvation is according to God's sovereign grace. Yes and amen. It's all about God's grace. If you are saved, you are saved because God chose you and predestined you before the foundations of the earth to be saved. At the same time, we're responsible. People are responsible when they hear the the Gospel call. When they hear about Jesus Christ, that Christ came, God's only Son came and lived a perfect life on this world and died on Calvary's cross for our sins. When the Gospel calls us to trust in Jesus and believe in Him, we're responsible for how we respond. You are responsible for how you respond to God's invitation. John 1, chapter 10 through 13. The Word, or Jesus Christ, Yahweh in the flesh, was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, there's God's sovereign grace. There's man's responsibility altogether. Once again, it's about God's calling. It's about what God has done. But there's this responsibility. How will you respond? Those who did receive Him, He gave the right to become sons of God. And those who reject Him will receive God's eternal judgment. Romans 10.13 For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You are responsible, dear friend, for how you respond to God. You are responsible for how you respond to God's invitation. The Gospel. So here's the question. How will you respond? Will you love God? Or will you hate God? Will you receive Christ and the promise of salvation in Jesus Christ? Or will you reject Christ? If you receive Christ, God will keep His covenant with you and and give you His steadfast love. If you reject Christ, you're responsible for the judgment that will come upon you, that will destroy you in eternity. So how will you respond? How will you respond to God's invitation to receive Jesus? Dear friends, live holy to the Lord because of God's sovereign grace and your responsibility. Here are these two dual doctrines. 
God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Again, if we focus on God's sovereignty, it's all about God's sovereign grace, then we become fatalists. We're puppets on a string. Likewise, if we come over here and we just focus on human responsibility, well, then we become Arminians, right? We become, uh, we, we become, it's all about us. It's all about our works. It's my responsibility. God's not in this. It's my choice. It's, it's my doing. And if it's all about my doing, if salvation is all my doing, then it's, it's all on me. I've got to choose God, and, and then I've got to keep this salvation. I've got to do works to maintain the salvation and keep it for myself. It's all on me, right? And so we become either fatalist or become Armenians. But you see, Scripture doesn't focus one or the other. Scripture gives us both. And we're called to stand balanced in the middle between these two doctrines. Some might ask, well, how do we reconcile these two seemingly contradictory doctrines? Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, once said, I didn't know that friends need to be reconciled. Spurgeon compared these two doctrines as, to, as two rails on a track upon which Christianity runs. Just as the rails of a train which run parallel to each other appear to merge in the distance, so the doctrines of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility which seem separate from each other in this life will merge in eternity. Joel Beakey says, our task is not to force their merging in this life, but to keep them in balance and to live accordingly. In the light of these dual doctrines, the God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, we're called, dear Christians, to trust God and obey His Word. We're called to trust God to trust in His sovereign grace. To trust in His plan of redemption. That began with creation. It, to, it came to its full reality in Jesus Christ. And now we look forward to the day that God will return, Christ will return and redeem all things, make all things new. It's all about God's sovereign plan of redemption. And dear Christian, you're part of that plan. Trust in God. Trust in God. Put your faith in Him. And because of His sovereign grace, Allow that grace to drive you to live in obedience to His will so that as you live in this dark and dying world, you don't look for self-glory. You don't live for self-honoring. But you live to honor and glorify your God in heaven who chose you in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the earth whom you received when He came calling, you received Him 
Honor God with your life. Trust and obey. Because of God's sovereign grace and your responsibility, dear Christian, live holy unto the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we acknowledge, Lord, there's much in Scripture that is so hard for us to understand. Just like we have these two doctrines, your sovereign grace, you chose us in Christ Jesus, you saved us, you give us new life. Yet at the same time, Lord, you call us to be responsible. And we're responsible for how we answer your call. Lord, we don't understand And we can come up with so many schemes and ways to try to merge these two doctrines together. But all of them fail. But Lord, help us. Help us. To hold these two doctrines in balance. Affirming both your sovereign grace and our responsibility. so that we might honor and glorify you with every part of our lives. Oh Lord, we acknowledge today our salvation. It isn't bound up in anything that we have done. But it was all according to your sovereign grace. Oh Lord, if there's any ounce of boasting in us, Take it away. Take it away. And let us bow before your throne of grace, giving you all the honor, glory, and praise. We are saved because you saved us. And Lord, if there's any today who've never trusted in Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would turn their hearts today Open their ears. Give them eyes to see Jesus. Turn their hearts to trust in Christ. And know the joy of your salvation. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.